In today's Old Testament reading, we hear how God provided for the widow of Zarephath. The first reading is from 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. After engaging in a series of public arguments with religious leaders in the temple, Jesus contrasts the proud and oppressive ways of those leaders with the sacrificial humility and poverty of the widow. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 12th chapter. And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they have all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the, this is the gospel of the Lord. I have um, several favorite sayings, and in the next two weeks you're going to hear two of them. And here is the favorite saying for today. He dared to believe through the deepest darkness. He dared to believe through the deepest darkness. It was said of a, of a pastor a couple of hundred years ago who had some tragedies in his life, who saw a lot of tragedies all around him, and all of those tragedies were a kind of a darkness, a darkness that said that 
There is no God that God does not love you. And it was said of him, he dared. He dared to believe through the deepest darkness. Or he was foolish enough to believe through the deepest darkness. Or he was brave enough to believe through the deepest darkness. Or he was naive enough to believe through the deepest darkness. Because when when bad things happen to us, they challenge our understanding of what God is like and whether God loves us or not. And this pastor dared. He dared to believe through the deepest darkness. I have two examples of people who did not dare to believe through the deepest darkness. The first example is the, the, the disciples of Jesus. After Jesus died, he died. Most of us know how dark that is. He died. Now, he had told them, he had told them this was going to happen. He told them, look, in three days I'll be raised from the dead. But they saw him die. So I guess they figured, yeah, right. That's not going to be. And so it was over. If they had believed, they would have gone that Easter Sunday morning, they would have gone to the tomb and hidden and watched as the most important event in the history of the world took place, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As it was because they didn't believe, they missed it. And the only thing that happened is that the women, thank God for the women, the women came at least to give him a proper burial. The other example of someone who refused to believe through the deepest darkness <coughs> is Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel received the 1986 Nobel Peace Prize. And Elie Wiesel was a, a, a prisoner of the Nazis during World War II in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. His father and his mother and his three, daughter, his three sisters were all killed in the concentration camps. And the stuff he saw there was so so gross, so wicked, so evil, so disgusting, that when he got out of the camp and started to think about it, he decided that there is no God. He decided that if there were a God and a God who was good, he wouldn't let that happen. And he decided not to believe through the deepest darkness. And maybe some of you have been challenged with darkness. Maybe some of you have had your faith challenged by bad stuff that's gone in your life. Maybe you're still struggling with it. What do I know? When the darkness comes, the darkness says there is no God and God, if there is a God, he doesn't love you. And sometimes it's hard to believe through the deepest darkness. We have in the scripture readings today Two women who chose to believe through the deepest darkness, and they were widows. Darkness had already come to them. 
The first widow lived about 850 years before our Lord Jesus Christ. She lived at a time of great famine when nobody had anything, nobody had any food. And she and her son were down to one meal. And she was going to make that meal, and then they were going to die. Her life was that dark. And then the prophet Elijah showed up. And instead of feeling sorry for them, he wants to mooch off of them. The first thing he says, well, give me a glass of water. Men, do we do that? Are we, are we that unfeeling, uncaring? Give me a glass of water. And then he wants some of the food. He wants to share her food. Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Well, she tells him this. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in the jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Darkness. Terrible. But Elijah responds, responds, do not be afraid. Go and do as I have said. But first, first make me a little cake. He doesn't, he doesn't feel very sorry for her. Make me a little cake and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. Now, if you were her, would you believe him? Some guy who shows up and starts, she, she says she wouldn't believe him. No, you know, you've got to be crazy to believe him, right? You've got to be crazy to believe through the deepest darkness. I don't think I'd believe. But this widow lady believed. And sure enough, it all worked out. The jar of meal was not emptied. Neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The widow dared to believe through the deepest darkness. The second widow lived at the time of Jesus. And as we meet her, she is coming to the temple to bring her offering. And she puts in two coins. It's called the lepta. The lepta was a copper coin it was, it was a Greek coin because the Romans didn't make a coin that was that cheap. And that's all she had. And she put it in the box. Now Jesus had been sitting around watching all of this. There was an area in the temple where people, as the children's sermon said, where they could bring the offerings. And what it was this way. There were 13 chests along the wall. And each chest had a kind of a horn on it. It was big on top like a funnel and then small so that the money could go in the chest. And you just put your money in the horn and it went down into the chest. And because the horns were made of metal and the coins were metal, if you listened, you could figure out what people were putting in. And Jesus was sitting and watching this. 
He was people watching. Do you ever do that? You ever do? We go to the mall. Val and I go to the mall. She likes to shop. I don't like to shop. So I like to sit in the mall. You do that? You just sit and you watch people. See what they're doing. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's watching these people. Now you can imagine they're rich people. They bring all these coins and they made those things sing. It was like when you went to a casino and you hit the jackpot, right? It made that kind of a sound. And if you listened, you could figure out how much they gave. And my guess is that the rich people really like to put it in so that you can really know how much they were giving. And then comes this widow. And she's got these two copper coins. And you have to listen really carefully as they go plink, plink, and fall into the chest. And Jesus calls his disciples and says, you know what? That lady has given more than anybody else. Because the rest of them gave it out of their abundance. But she gave everything. She couldn't go and buy anything. She was out of money. Now, why did she do that? Well, my guess is, my guess is that she was a very devout person. She had a living faith, and she, I, I think that she believed the promises that God gave, just as the lady believed the promises of Elijah. I've picked out one promise. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. My guess is that she believed some kind of promise like that, and if she put that offering in, she put in 100%, the Lord will take care of her. She dared, or was foolish enough, she dared to believe through the deepest darkness. Now, I want to set that aside for a minute because there's a, a, another wonderful teaching here in, the, in, in this example with the woman and, and her offering. <clears throat> and um, I know that our congregation has just gone through a stewardship program, right? They did not put me up to this. But when you think about that day, if you ask the question, who was the biggest giver who came to the temple that day? In terms of the amount, that lady was the last. I mean, think about it. What did those two little copper coins do for the temple? Almost nothing. It was the big givers who made those things sing who were the big givers. But if you ask on a percentage basis, who was the biggest giver that day? Hands down, it was the widow because she gave 100%. She gave it all. And when you think about giving, about stewardship, about what we do, it's never about the receiver. 
it's always about the giver. And it's always about what is the percentage that you give. Not how much does the church need, but what percentage are you giving? Now let me get, tell you a story. Uh, a, young, a young couple went to the pastor to be, uh, to be married, and they, he did premarital counseling. And one of the things he talked to them about was giving and stewardship and the church. And he said, now I recommend to you that, uh, that you tithe. That you give 10%. It's all God's money anyway. It's not your money. Give God back 10%. You go crazy with 90%. And they did. So they practiced, they practiced tithing. Several years later, the, the, the guy came back and said, Pastor, you know, when we did this premarital counseling, you talked to us about tithing, and, and we did that. But Pastor, I have received so many promotions, and my income has gone up so much, I can't afford to tithe anymore. What should I do? And the pastor said, well, that's easy. You quit your job and get a job that paid what you were being paid when you first got married. And then you can tithe again. Now, that's stupid, isn't it? They could do it when he was making nothing, but he couldn't do it when he was making a lot. The fact of the matter is, in his prosperity, he could afford to tithe more than he could when he was first married. But what happened to him was the amount of money was so huge, he couldn't imagine giving that much dollars or whatever. His percentage went down while the amount of dollars went up and the dollars were so high he couldn't bring himself to give that much money. But it's always about the percentage. It's not about the amount. Do you know what the average giving of people is to the church as a percentage of their income? You know, maybe you don't know. The average Christian gives 3%. What did the widow give? Oh, she gave 100%. Because she dared to believe through the deepest darkness. Well, anyway, I'll put that aside now. Let's get back to the issue at hand. Believing through the deepest darkness. It's easy to believe in God It's easy to believe that God is good, that God is kind, that God is just, when everything is going well for you. That's easy, isn't it? The problem is when things get tough. When life gets tough. When life gets dark. Then it's hard to believe through the deepest darkness. But but the real issue is this. It's not about believing in God. It's about having a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's not about believing in Jesus. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. 
It's not about believing in the Holy Spirit. It's about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's about relationship, not about so much about believing, but about relationships. The Christian life is really about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can have a relationship with him because he's alive. If you think he's alive, raise your hand. All right. My father is dead. I can't have a relationship with him, but I can sure have a relationship with God. I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because they live. And it's about having this this relationship. When After Jesus was raised from the dead, he met his disciples up in Galilee, and and Peter and his friends were out fishing. And uh, he was there on the shore, and he called them to shore, And then uh, when he met with Peter, he asked him a question. He asked him the same question three times. Who remembers what the question was? Simon Peter, do you love me? He didn't ask him, do you believe in me? He asked him, do you love me? And he asked him three times in, in parallel to the three times that Peter had denied him. And by the third time, Peter said, you know everything. You know I love you. I have this relationship, this loving relationship with you. Many years later, Peter, writing a letter to Christians in Turkey, Christians who were under persecution, Christians who were really in the dark, He wrote this. Without having seen him, you love him. Peter was saying, I saw him, and I love him. You have not seen him, and you love him. And because you love him, and because things are dark, you have this relationship of love, of faith, and obedience you'll get through all of this. The Christian faith is really about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. One more story. A little girl, little blind girl, was being carried by her father to a doctor's office where she was going to have a very serious and difficult operation. He he carried her to the doctor's office and um, he took a little girl... And he gave her to the doctor. And the doctor was holding her. And he said to her, Honey, are you afraid? And she said, No, I'm not afraid. He said, Honey, do you know who's holding you? And she said, No, I don't know who's holding me. But I know that you know Who's holding me? With her father, she had a relationship of faith, of love, and trust. And as you and I have the relationship with God of faith, and love, and trust, we can believe through the deepest, deepest darkness.